0: So, barreling down the Turner Turnpike at 75 miles an hour, a barrage of advertisements, road signs, symbols, and words fly by. I commuted to Oklahoma City from Tulsa at least twice a week for two years. And on every trip, I pondered the small markers announcing I had just left Muskogee Creek boundary and was entering Sac and Fox or Iowa or Kickapoo territories nothing looked different between these legal boundaries it was all the same rolling platted by square mile rural Oklahoma scenery the landscape changed for me when I began listening to the book Lies My Teacher Told Me and the author James Lowen Lo and behold, is a sociologist, but also a Unitarian Universalist attending All Souls in Washington, D.C. And he now embodies for me how our covenant to seek the truth in love looks like in the professional realm. Without malice, but with a clear eye, mind, and heart, he writes what he understands to be real and fair history. No doubt many of you have read Lies My Teacher Told Me. The premise of the book is to reclaim the bland and dishonest version of history often taught in our nation's high schools. He achieves this by comparing the main dozen or so U.S. history textbooks with their uncanny similarities and omissions They reveal much about us. They reveal how we construct our history, our educational system, and our national character. In the process, Lowen also reminds his readers that history is very messy and is never a finished product. It is the hidden contradictions and unsung people that offer the more accurate, and more dynamic view of our past. I don't want to dwell on Lowen's ties to Unitarian Universalism except to point out that his perspective on history telling feels familiar and right to me. His emphasis on searching out both the sublime and the ghastly trends in our collective human behavior mirrors my experience as a religious person My job heading down a spiritual path is not unlike a sociologist's or a historian's. My spiritual work is to accurately understand my own sublime and ghastly moments. And when I have a a clearer narrative of my own history, then I'm better equipped for responding generously in the present and the future. What is theology or belief or religion if not a very personal effort to understand the world and to find meaning? So, returning to Lowen's book, he critiques the U.S. history textbooks for their heft. Most have over a thousand pages, weigh over five pounds, and cost more than $90 but this physical density is not matched by an intellectual density. (laughs) Their broad generalizations wrapped in nationalism keep students in the dark about the nature of history and of human behavior. The weighty texts are crammed with facts, but as Lowen explains, none of the facts is remembered because they are simply presented as one damn thing after another. Students exit history without having developed the ability to think coherently about social life. Textbooks also keep students in the dark about the nature of history. History is furious debate informed by evidence and reason. Textbooks encourage students to believe that history is facts to be learned. Quote, From the textbooks, we have not avoided controversial issues, announces one set of textbook authors. Instead, we have tried to offer reasoned judgments, end of quote, thus removing the controversies. Because textbooks employ such godlike tones, it never occurs to most students to question. As a result of this, most high school seniors are hamstrung in their efforts to analyze controversial issues in our society. Listening to this book, I immediately realized I'd been taught virtually the same insipid history in the same deluge of unrelated facts almost 30 years earlier. Many of you escaped this reductionist version of American history or consciously moved beyond its simplistic depictions. For me, the textbook version of the life and times of Christopher Columbus that was part of today's reading is hauntingly familiar. Not so long ago, I could not have added facts to counteract the textbook string of mythical data points. In fact, I had seen a replica of the Nina and Pinta when it came up the navigable waters in Oklahoma and docked at Muskogee. And at the time I would have agreed with the textbook descriptions that they seemed like pitifully small ships only to read later from the naval historian Pietro Barozzi the Columbus's ships were fully suited to their purpose this detail about Columbus's ships is emblematic of the whole story a myth that accumulates half truths to make Columbus a hero So we're bothering to look at Columbus and history in church today, because Columbus Day is tomorrow. While it is a secular and civic holiday, as Oklahomans who live in what was formerly Indian territory, and before that, Osage, Kiowa, and Apache, Kiowa lands, our present is shaped by that past, both real and myth. Now I want to be clear now, I'm not preaching a sermon that's designed to make you squirm or wallow in guilt. Instead, I'm interested in our being receptive to all history with eyes wide open. Just as all humans are complex sim, just as humans are complex systems, both saintly and scoundrel in one body, The gathering of our collective history entails a mix of virtue and vile. It is helpful to know that many Native and Indigenous people in both American continents consider October 14th to be a day of mourning. It is helpful to know why. For example, Columbus did not discover America. Many others had reached the Americas long before 1492. In a sense, and I'm quoting Lowen briefly, Columbus's voyage was not the first but the last discovery of the Americas. It was epoch-making because of the way in which Europe responded. Columbus's importance is therefore primarily attributable to changing conditions in Europe not to his having reached a new continent. Over the course of three different voyages, Columbus starts a brutal slave trade. He enslaves 500 indigenous peoples for the Spaniards staying behind and takes another 500 back to Spain. Over 200 do not survive the voyage back. He encourages the rape of women. He ultimately wages full war on native peoples. He takes over the whole of Haiti, beginning a new era of European imperialism and colonialization. Genocide and slavery are not terms I heard coupled with the name Columbus when i took us history yet those are exactly the terms many native americans want to remind the world are valid descriptors for christopher columbus's actions indigenous peoples day which i saw the tulsa world mentioned it today indigenous peoples day is an event that reexamines columbus day by challenging the dominant historical narratives Indigenous Peoples Day began in California over 21 years ago, started by Oklahoman Millie Ketchishano, a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. It has formally replaced Columbus Day in parts of our country and around the world. It celebrates the revitalization of indigenous cultures and native resistance to forces still threatening to destroy them. Our own Unitarian Universalist Association formally proclaims the Unitarian Universalist faith calls us to fully understand the legacy of Christopher Columbus, just as it calls us to respect and learn from indigenous peoples and support their struggles for social justice and religious freedom. This formal statement arises from an ongoing study of social justice issues in line with our religious principles. A few years back, UU congregations around the world studied the doctrine of discovery. This decree, issued by Pope Nicholas V in 1452, specifically sanctioned and promoted the conquest of colonization, and exploitation of non-Christian territories and peoples. So Columbus's actions were backed by this decree. Even today's contemporary laws that invalidate or ignore the rights, sovereignty, and humanity of indigenous people in the United States can be traced back to the doctrine of discovery. So at the 2012 UU General Assembly, we we formally resolved to repudiate the doctrine of discovery as a relic of colonialism, feudalism, and religious, cultural, and racial biases, having no place in the modern-day treatment of indigenous peoples. Again... The reasons we are discussing this on Sunday morning in a religious setting is because our great covenant requires us to dwell in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. I'm not calling for us to deny the benefits of Columbus's actions, but to fully recognize great harm is also a large part of his legacy. If I preach anything faithfully from this pulpit, I intend to communicate how seldom any situation is black and white. Our task is to make choice in the gray areas. The guide through these gray areas is love and compassion. Love and compassion for ourselves and love and compassion for all others. And our covenant is the roadmap. So tomorrow is Columbus Day. It will have all its trappings of a victor's nationalist version of American history. Tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day. It will be a revisionist history by those harmed and oppressed by Columbus and all who followed in his conquering footsteps. Both holidays now live side by side. So moving forward with both views of the past and better inform our own decisions as citizens of our country? Shall we mourn or celebrate Columbus Day? Yes, both! <laughs> On a more personal level, we will have two formal opportunities to examine our own history as a congregation in the upcoming months. We will be called upon to understand our unique mix of virtue And vile. And as Claudia told you, a skilled and experienced minister from our region is coming to work with us to help plot Hope's future. Reverend Susan Smith has been helping congregations with new ministers do this work for over a decade. So on Friday night, the whole congregation on November 15th is invited to convene in this sanctuary to conduct, to to construct a congregational timeline. We have one on paper, but this is a personal one. What what was it that was going on? It will be a time for all of us, new and seasoned, to look at Hope's history. Together we'll identify the, the themes, the myths, and even the unwritten rules that emerge from our history. It will be time to name accomplishments, describe our identity, And spell out values. I really encourage you all to come. It'll be fun. The second chance to learn about Hope's history comes in December as we celebrate the church's founding. It will mark the 45th anniversary of being a home to progressive, thoughtful religion. Our Unitarian Universalist message is life-saving. So during worship, we will hear from members who started the church and have kept it going. And afterwards, we will party in the fellowship hall. Both of these events are part of making sure Hope Church is a vital community institution in 45, 90, and many years beyond. We have a chance to set our future with clear eyes, minds, and hearts. So as I whizzed by the boundary markers on the Turner Turnpike, I came to realize their small size does not do justice to the large, complex story behind those legislative lines. Their stories began long before that 15th century papal decree, before Columbus set anchor in the Bahamas, and before the forming of a new nation and resettlement of tribes by force. And their stories now include the millions of cars driving down a toll road, passing through their tribal borders. The present moment is just as we say every Sunday. We build on foundations we did not lay. We profit from peoples we did not know. We are ever bound in community. May it always be so.